Let's start our reading um, at verse uh, 19 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. Let's hear the word of the Lord. So then you were no longer strangers, and he's talking to the Gentiles here. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can receive, perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel For this reason, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's talking about the angels there. It's fascinating here that even the angels learn more and more of God as they study the redemption that Christ accomplished. This is according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose hearts over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Please pray for me as I proclaim God's word to you. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We know, O Lord, it is one of the words of truth, one of the words of redemption. And pray, O God, that you would be with us now as we approach your word for instruction. Pray that your spirit would be with me as I preach. Pray that your spirit would be with the congregation as they hear. And that you would apply this word to us. We ask, O God, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever had a garden before, any people gardeners, uh, I grew up, my grandfather was a magnificent gardener. Everything he planted grew well, 
beautiful. I've got old 8mm films. I don't know if you know what 8mm films are, but my daddy used to make pictures, films all the time, and some of the beautiful gardens that my grandfather planted and the plants would always produce. I'm not quite as gifted as my grandfather. Uh, last year I had a garden and uh, something in the night, ate stuff throughout the night. Every night uh, I was inside, the vegetables were eaten. And uh, I uh, planted some this year in pots, thinking that the whatever ate them last year would not eat them this year. Well, there are these worms called a tomato hornworm. They're very large, and they can take a plant down in a matter of a few hours. And so, again, uh, my efforts at having a garden were thwarted. It is fun to watch things grow. If you have children, it's fun to watch your children grow. And you can probably, if your children are old enough, recall the first time they took a step, the first word they spoke, and you tell people about it. So-and-so, my son and my daughter said uh, this word today. We're so excited about it. Or they took their first step today. We're so excited about that. And so it is that we enjoy seeing things grow, and it is encouraging to us when we see things grow. But a question. Do you desire in sincerity to grow in the knowledge and image of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you, do you like being religious? I'm not asking you if you like attending worship. I hope that you do. I hope that you love Christ. I hope that you enjoy the fellowship of the saints. But do you desire, deep in your heart, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ more and more each day that you live? In the text this morning, the Apostle Paul prays for these Ephesians. Now, these Ephesians are believers who have been converted recently. They dwell among a bunch of pagans. The Temple of Diana was at Ephesus, filled, saturated with paganism. And these Christians that have been converted now are rather infants in the faith. And Paul desires that these new Christians grow in the knowledge and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he prays for that here in the text, that they may grow, that they may mature, they may become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his desire for these believers. And we should live our lives encouraged to pray that same prayer for us. Because Christ has secured our place in glory. Because God desires that we grow to be more like Jesus. Then we should seek the Lord's face about that and for one another. Here's a question. Do you pray for the sanctification of your friends? Do you pray for their marriages? Do you pray for their children? Do you pray that they may grow in the knowledge of Christ? Let me tell you something. It's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. It's hard to hate someone when you go before the Lord and you're seeking God's grace and blessings in their life. Three things this morning. And don't think you're getting out of here at 12 because you're not. It won't be long after 12. It's 20 till. So be a little bit past 12. We're here to worship, right? That's a good thing. I'll see if I can go to 1 (laughs) o'clock. Not really. Three things this morning. Growth in the Christian life is granted by God's grace. Growth in the Christian life comes from a God who is limitless in supplies of grace. 
And the third thing is growth in the Christian life brings change to us, effective change for sanctification. Well, the first thing then, growth in the Christian life is granted to us by God's grace. All spiritual growth that takes place in our lives is because of the work of our great and loving God. Spiritual strengthening. Spiritual maturity. Strength to bear up under trials. Strength to bear up and trust God in all situations. You know that there are times in your life when you feel like, I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. I can't go on my life forward dealing with this. Why did you bring this into my life? We may ask at times, why did you cause me uh, to be brought into this situation? I believe in your sovereignty. I believe in your goodness. Why? God brings us into trials in order that we may seek his face and find his strength in time of need. Life does not happen by an unfolding of chance events. It doesn't happen. Everything that transpires in your life is there by the sovereign purpose of God, whatever it may happen to be. A friend of mine used to say this to me often. God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. But his purposes in your life. Whatever you face are for good and grace to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul put it rightly when he asked, Father, grant them to grow in grace. Father, strengthen them because it is God and God alone who gives this to us. And so our efforts in growth and grace and sanctification, unless God blesses, are a waste of time. And so if we have this idea of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps spiritually in the term that I'm going to grow in grace, we have the cart before the horse. We are to read the Bible. We are to spend time in prayer. We're going to do do battle with lawlessness. We pray for the grace to hate sin. We don't always hate sin. You know that. We sometimes love gossiping. We sometimes love our money more than we love God. We sometimes love indulging the, the lust of the flesh. It's a part of our nature. It's part of that sin nature that remains in us. And so we fight against these things by pleading for God's help. But it's by God's grace that we deal successfully with them. And it is God who causes growth. Ezekiel 37, 28 says this, Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. When my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore, God brought grace and growth to them in the Old Testament. First Thessalonians 5:23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that this growth in grace should always result in sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, it's growth. Well, the catechism answers it for us pretty well. Question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. That's sanctification, where we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a question again, do you have the desire? Are you so infiltrated with worldliness and the things of the world that you want Christ to come back, but not today? Not today. 
maybe a week from now, maybe two weeks, maybe a few years from now. Because right now, you see, I'm very successful. I'm enjoying all kinds of success in my business. My bank account is growing. Family's healthy. I've got grandchildren. Lord, I want you to come back, but not today. That's a foolish, foolish thought. It's really an ungodly thought as well. What do they say at the end of the book of Revelation? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that's where we need to be in our lives and our desire for the Lord Jesus to come back. And we have a responsibility, you see, for our own sanctification. It is a work of God's grace. But we have a responsibility. If you please listen to the read from Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. The book of Hebrews in 14, uh, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Listen to this. There is no such thing as a Christian that knows nothing of sanctification. There's no such thing as a believer, a true believer who knows nothing of sanctification. Because once you're converted, God works. That's not to say you won't commit sin. That's not to say you won't fall. But there is in your life an upward uh, growth, if you will. Someone one time said it's three steps forward and two steps backwards. But the point is you're striving to grow and to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And God does bless that. So we have a responsibility to this place to punish, you see. The responsibility to strive to increase to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. By doing what they're taking advantage of the means of grace. What are the means of grace? Well, Bible reading. The prim- listen to this. The primary means of grace is sitting under the proclamation of God's word. That's the primary means of grace, according to the scriptures. Sitting under the proclamation of the word of God. Which means you come prepared. Right? If you give it a presentation at some business meeting, normally you're prepared when you go there. You've got your PowerPoint. I'm not sure, I don't know what that is exactly. Uh, papers, all that kind of stuff. All those things. And you're ready to go. You bring it up there. You're ready. When we come to worship, we come prepared. Having prayed. Having been preparing throughout the days of the week. Lord, I pray for your grace this Sunday. Lord, be with the pastor. Be with him throughout the week as he prepares. Lord, may he be prepared when he gets up in the pulpit. Not like last week, but this week may be a whole lot better. (laughs) Make my heart, O God, open to the Scriptures. May I listen as the Word of God is read. May your Spirit apply that Word to my life. Because, oh, I recognize I desperately, desperately need your grace and need to be growing in grace. We have that responsibility uh, placed upon us. And we need that strengthening day in and day out, do we not? There are two things that we deal with that are against us in our Christian walk. In the first place, we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable, vulnerable. We are liable uh, to to fall because we have that remnant of sin that lives within us. And you know that. You know you do. 
I was talking to this fellow one time named Scott. I don't think any of you know who Scott is. That's Scott right there. And he said this to me. We were talking about thoughts bombarding our minds. He said this. Something comes in. You say, where in the world did that come from? <laughs> Why was that there? Where did it come from? It comes from the fact that we have a remnant of sin within us. We're being sanctified. We're not perfectly holy. Because there are times when those things happen. They just come to our mind. And uh, you know that. And I know that. You consider your passions, your thoughts that are ungodly. And yet they're there. You deal with them. You don't give in to them. But you deal with them. So we have that remnant of sin. That's one reason why we are vulnerable. Second thing is um, we have an enemy. And he is called Satan. He never sleeps. And he also has a bunch of followers. They're called demons. Demons nothing more than a fallen angel. But demons have power. They're not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. Uh, they are not all powerful, but they are powerful. And we look in the scriptures to see that some of the saints of old committed some very, very gross sins. These people were believers. They were Christians of old. The one that comes to mind most obvious is King David, a man after God's own heart. Bear that in mind, a man after God's own heart. What did he do? Committed adultery. And he went to pains to commit adultery. Saw Bathsheba. Who's this woman? Well, that's Bathsheba. That's Uriah's wife. Bring her to me. And so she came and she spent the night with him. And he gets word later that she is going to have a child. Bring home her husband. So he brought Uriah back and he got Uriah drunk. Hoping Uriah would go home to spend the night with his wife. And he didn't do that. He slept at the palace outside of the court because his men were at the battlefield. He was a man of honor. So David sent word back to his general and said, uh, send your right out the front. And when the fighting is the worst, abandon him. And he got killed. Talk to the, uh, think about the, uh, the apostle Peter, the best friend of Jesus. Peter said, Lord, I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to leave you. Uh, others may, but I will not. You know what Jesus said to him before the rooster crows tonight? Will deny me three times? No. No, I won't. But he did. I don't know him. Your accent gives you away. I don't know him. I don't know the man. Yeah, we, you were with him. No, no, I do not know him. You know the story? Christ looks at him. And he weeps. I think Peter was not so strong after all. Let me tell you this. You're not so strong after all either. Neither am I. Neither am I. So we see then, we've got these... Weaknesses in our lives, Satan tempting us, our adversary, and then there are those times when we give in and we fall because of that remnant of sin within us and because of the temptation. And let me tell you this, some practice of lawlessness may become very, very popular 
and become uh, commonplace. And the government may even sanction it, like abortion. Well, the government says it's okay. The government says this is a good thing. It helps control the population. It must be okay. No. Because God says it's not. And because we bear the image of God and life is sacred. And so it doesn't matter what the majority thinks about any particular sin. It doesn't matter at all what the masses think. What matters is God's opinion of it. And if God's opinion of it is wrong, it's sin, it displeases him, it doesn't matter how many people think this is okay. God's opinion is the final word on whatever it is we're discussing. I love this hymn. I need thee, precious Jesus, for I am full of sin. My soul is dark and guilty. My heart is dead within. I need thy cleansing fountain where I may always, that I can always flee. The blood of Jesus, most precious, the sinner's perfect plea. That's where we go. That is the hope that we have. Well, well, the second thing then as we continue our study this morning is not only is um, the... uh, Growth in our Christian life, all of God's work, uh, it is also something that is necessary unto us, and God has an endless supply to give to us. If you ever borrowed money from somebody, people have borrowed it from me. I don't have that much, but people have borrowed it from me before. Out of all the times I've lent it to people, one person paid me back. One person. A friend of mine, Andy Edwards, said this to me. If you ever loan money to a family member, consider it a gift. He was right. Consider it a gift. Well, my resources are very limited. God's are not very limited. We cannot exhaust God by asking him to do things for us. And let us what the text says here. God is glorious in all of his being, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. The riches of his glory. We cannot begin to grasp the greatness of our God. He is infinite, eternal, unchangeable, filled with goodness. There is no taint of lawlessness in God whatsoever. There is no taint of evil in God whatsoever. All that God is through and through is perfectly righteous and holy and good in all of his dealings with his people. Are for our good, though we may not understand it, we may not see it, we may not grasp it. Nonetheless, we can rest in this. All things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, though we may not see it. And what follows explains that for those whom He called, these He also justified. These He also ultimately will glorify. The end of the work of Jesus is our own glorification, the resurrection from the dead and being glorified in the presence of God. I had a seminary professor. I've said this to the congregation before. As long as you define good in Romans 8, 28, from your perspective, you'll never understand that verse. All things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Does that mean cancer somehow? Works for good? Yeah. 
we've had several people in our congregation to be diagnosed with cancer. Praise God. They're all doing well. They're still with us. There was an older man, Clay Nichols, who was one of our elders who developed um, cancer metastasized, and he got pretty much all of his organs. And he would always say this to me. I'd go see him about once, at least once every two weeks, go out there and have lunch with him. He said this to me when we would leave. Pray that I can honor my Savior through this cancer. Pray that I would be pleasing to him in the way that I deal with it. He and he said this. You ready for it? I would not give anything for this cancer that God's given to me. Because I've grown so close to Christ. So close. More close, closer to him than I have ever been in my life. That's the riches of God, you see. That he has to give with us as we are strengthened to deal with the difficult days and his providence that come to us. God in his richness, Paul prays, therefore, that all of God's resplendent attributes may be applied to the spiritual purposes in the lives of those people. I pray that you may be strengthened, he says here, with power through the Spirit in the inner man. And we recognize this, how desperately we need to be strengthened. May God grant you strength to live, to keep his commandments, to be encouraged in all situations, uh, to stand firm in the time of persecution. If that day comes and it really cuts, comes down to our lives being on the line, may God strengthen us, he says. May God strengthen us all to be brave and to be bold for the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're strengthened, it says here, in the inner man. The outward man is perishing, is it not? I guarantee you, if you're over 40, you're not as strong as you were when you were 20. If you're over 60, as strong as you were when you were 40, right? Time and age changes. We get weaker, not stronger. Because that's the part of growing older as God prepares us for glory. But we do so recognizing that the inner man is being strengthened day by day. I want to read something to you. Uh, I was told, I don't know for a fact, but I was told this, that Jim uh, Montgomery Boyce, when he was dying of cancer, I think he was like 64, 65 when he died, had this read to him, I think often. But we hold this treasure in jars of clay, the treasures of the gospel, to show that the, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
Our outer self is wasting away. Your outer self is wasting away. That's the reality of it. But our inner self, he says here, is being renewed day by day. And so we don't lose heart. For we are convinced of this, that we have a tent in heaven made without hands. It is ours. And we know from Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he says, therefore, we will not lose hope. The inner self is being renewed. So Paul prays this for them, that you may be strengthened in the inner self and the core of your being, that which is that part of you that does not die. And that which is not laid in the grave when you be, breathe your last, that which goes on and lives forever, that which is the center of who you are, your spirit, if we will, the soul that is within you. Uh, may that be strengthened day by day. And may you become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will not say this. God will not refuse you. If you in sincerity go to Him and you say this, Lord, please, please help me to be like Christ. Help me to be like Jesus. Help me to do battle with sin. Help me to be encouraged in times of disappointment. May I understand this. You do not change. You never change. You're always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Christ said that He not, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? I will never leave you nor forsake you, Christ says to us. And there He is, always willing, always ready that we might be strengthened in the inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And there's the key, is it not? What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There is the mandate. Listen to this. There is no growth in the likeness of Christ apart from faith. We have to believe. We have to embrace the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, we don't live under God's smile. We live under God's condemnation. Let me say this as well. Even for the elect of God, those that God has chosen from all eternity have to come to faith in Christ. And until they do, they are under, by law, God's wrath and condemnation. It's not until they come to faith in Christ that they are saved. At that point... They have life eternal in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no life apart from Jesus. There's no life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. No life, uh, no matter how religious you may happen to be. Listen to this. There are a lot of religious people that are in hell. A lot of religious people that are in hell. But not one Christian is in hell. Not one. Oh, very quickly then. Um, God's Spirit dwells within, within each of us. The dwelling place of God is within us. I graduated from seminary in St. Louis uh, in 1986, I think it was. Palmer Robertson, I don't know if you know who Palmer Robertson is. He's one of my professors. Great, great man. He's still writing books. Uh, If you happen to get any of his books, I would encourage you to get The Christ of the Covenants, one of his books that he wrote. And I was talking to him, and I said, Dr. Robertson, I am just not sure if I'm ready to be a, a senior pastor anywhere. And he said this to me, trust in the Lord 
that lives within you. Trusting God. The God who dwells within you, he will not disappoint you. He will not leave you to yourself. And so I would ask you this this morning. Would you desire the prayer that Paul's prayed to be prayed for you? Lord God, strengthen me in the inner man. Strengthen me that I may be able to stand against temptation. Strengthen me that I might be faithful in the midst of severe trials. Strengthen me that I may be loving and kind to other people that I may otherwise not want to be loving and kind to. Strengthen me that I may be faithful in witnessing for you and not being ashamed of the gospel. This evening we're going to look at Romans 1.16 where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lord God, give me the grace to stand strong and trust you in the storms of this life. Is that the prayer you would have prayed for you and that you would like to be prayed for you? Well, if you would say yes to that, and then I would rest in this assurance that you are indeed a believer. Do you know Jesus this morning? Are you trusting Christ for your salvation? Uh, not are you religious, but are you trusting Christ for salvation? You recognize apart from him there is no hope. No hope whatsoever except a future that's rather bleak. And if you're not trusting Christ, I would urge you to faith. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so as we approach our final hour, we rest in Jesus. And we know that God will be on the other side, welcoming us as his children. Because we're resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the world deceive you. Or blind you with all of it, this gold and glittery. It's passing away. But God's heaven is not passing away. We look forward to the return of our blessed Savior. In the meantime, we live, we struggle, and we fight, but not alone. With God's help. Seek his face. Let's pray.